Eyewitness News. Be there as it happens. City News. Hello, good evening, and welcome to Eyewitness News Live from our studio here at Loop I Accra. My name is Zoe Abubeidu Ado, and I'm here with Hawa Idriso. Coming up over the next 90 minutes. There hasn't been anywhere that agreed or concluded that fire should be affected when we had already begun the negotiation. So, committee drivers and our two drivers, whoever they are, have given out their, that is their decision. Turmoil amongst driver unions as they disagree over the 30% increase in transport fares. Also coming up, minority in parliament questions the delay in the tabling of the e-levy bill three weeks after the resumption of the House. And later on, eyewitness news speaker of parliament, Alban Bagwin, describes as a cake the arrest of journalists over their comments deemed as publication of false news. Stay with 97.3 City FM for more on this and other stories on eyewitness news and in business poultry farmers blame reoccurrence of the bird flu outbreak across the country on the negligence of the veterinary service ellen dapa joins us in the next 50 minutes for more in the world of business eyewitness news is live across the country on all our affiliates if you are in the western region we are on beach 105.5 fm in takrade you can hear us on storm 101.9 fm in sunyani which is in the bono region Ashanti Region, Focus 94.3 FM in Kumasi, Volta Region, Revival 99.3 FM in Tadio, Northern Region, Radio Bimbela 91.9 FM. In the Upper East Region, we are on Tanga 93.7 FM in Bolga, Upper West, Tongsong 97.3 FM in Wa. We are also live around the globe on City Newsroom. Dot com. Your comments are welcome via WhatsApp line 0549986996. You can tweet at me at Zoe Abubedu or City973. The hashtag is City Newsroom. We'll begin with the transport fare, the proposed 30% increment in transport fares. How has a fair story? The Ghana Private Road Transport Union, GPRTU, has disassociated itself from the 30% increment in transport fares by the Ghana Committed Drivers Association. According to GPRTU, it is yet to conclude negotiations with the government on Monday, February 21, after which it will officially announce its new fares. In an interview with City News, the General Secretary of GPRTU, Godfred Abulbire, says they would come to an agreement with the government that would benefit all stakeholders. Let's go over the phone lines and speak to Godfred Abulbire on this matter. Good evening, sir. Thanks for joining us on Eyewitness News. Now, why um, have you dissociated yourself from the increment? I thought the coalition of transport um, operators uh, met with the government. What was the outcome of that meeting? And why is it that um, there's some disagreement between the driver unions? Good evening. And uh, let me say good evening to your listeners. Yes, you just asked a question. Why is GPA to dissociate ourselves? The question is that I don't think committed and then uh, two drivers 
they are speaking the voice of the coalition. They are speaking the voice of their various unions and not the coalition. And the coalition held a meeting, set up some three-man committee, and they did a survey, and then went into all the inputs that actually determined the running cost of the commercial car, and then we had a document. And we presented a document with certain timelines as to by what margin we are going to increase our, uh, our fares, and then at what date that we have to effect it. And we submitted it to the transport minister and waiting for the conclusion of our negotiations. So if before the timeline set up in that document, some other groups have decided to come out publicly and announce the rate they want to increase and the time that they want to increase, I don't think you will expect coalition, including GPRTU, to accept their view when we know we have gotten some uh, document that we are all going by. So what... Besides that, mm-hmm. besides that you, you, you had mentioned correctly that it is committed. Committed drivers union, if they come out with their press statement or their press release, we don't think that you should automatically accept that when we know we are dealing with a larger number of people in this country. All right. So what did you agree upon that committed drivers and concerned drivers have deviated from? Yes, we 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 did some uh, survey. Like I said, the three hundred did a survey and calculated the percentage increase on the fuel and the percentage increment on the fare pass and the percentage increment on the fees and then the lubricants. With all this, we calculated and had the actual increment in total as thirty percent. It was even thirty five percent. And then we suggested that the lot of us should be increased by 30%, which, of course, without that, operators were operating at a loss. So we put this one in the document nicely and indicated that within that time that we submitted it, negotiation might have ended before 19th of February, when we have to now come out and then to implement. So we submitted to the minister. We said, give us more weeks for us to also study your document. And we all went there and agreed. So within the first week, we had gone there, negotiations have started, and then they're offering 10%. We said no. And then temporarily they agreed with the 50%. But that Monday, we should come and then we'll confirm. So we are saying that with 10 or 50%, that is not enough for us. So we are anticipating that all members of the coalition would have actually been a bit calm for us to complete that roundtable negotiation on Monday 21st before we can issue an independent statement or a press release. So in between this period, if anybody in the group comes out on their own, you don't expect the other members of the coalition to support that or to accept that. Government proposed 10 to 15%. Yes, of course. What? That's what government was proposing. Okay. What are you proposing? On the document, we said 30%. And so if the committed drivers and concerned drivers go ahead and say they are increasing by 30%, then that is something you have agreed upon, not so? We have suggested, not agreed upon, we have suggested to the government. Then if we had agreed upon, then there was no need for us to submit it to the ministry for us to discuss. One of the issues is that it is on the document, and we submitted for them to study and then for us to discuss. It shows that there's a possibility that that figure could be reviewed or could be reviewed that was. So are you willing to 
agree to what government is saying, 10 to 15 percent? The situation there will demand. You see, one thing is that we are not just actually, it's just that we have not gotten the right solution to our problem, which is the stabilization of the fuel prices. Our interest doesn't even lie on the increment of the overflow of the first. If the fuel prices could be stable, by the time around November last year, which we had started these agitations, nobody would have even talked about uh, fair increments. Because we all are, can agree, and I believe you, you can also agree that the situation in Ghana, as we are now, is not too good for everybody's packet. So the more you increase welfare, the more you are reducing the passenger turnout each day for you to be in business. So that's our problem. Within November, when... Yes, you... last year, November, we, we had started with this issue on the press statement and then... Great. Wait, and in December, there was yeah. a, a strike, sort of, or a demonstration, yeah, a protest. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Within that time and now, the fuel prices have been increased about four times. Exactly Yesterday, so. fuel prices yes. were increased. Exactly so. Okay. Yes, just to confirm what you are saying, we submitted a document the following day, the prices we took into consideration before the calculations had gone up and beyond what we had presented. Why so do you, I agree with you? Why do you need government's input to increase your fares? Did you say why do we need? Yes. Oh, I, I, I told well, you a person, but I don't think you should have asked that question. It was, you know for sure that the situation as around 2001, 2002 was that when fuel prices are increased, lot of fare the following day is also adjusted. But then we had formed, government by that time had formed this GRCCC, which is the Ghana Road uh, Transport Coordinating Council. And that was supposed to be a body where all private operators would rally under, so that we could have direct negotiation with government in areas like this, because our, our, our operations you know, covers the whole country, the land and breadth of this country. Just for you to see the picture that I'm trying to paint for you now is that if you look at the December 6th, where we had intended to do the season site, in Accra, it was just about some few stations that did that, not, not more than some one, 30 minutes or one hour. But it created a very serious, serious impact. And if suppose the whole country had done it seriously, it means that the whole country would have been held hostage by transport operators. And the question is that, at that time, who speaks for the traveling public in Ghana? It is the government. Who has to negotiate our lobby with us or has to come back to work? It's government. So obviously, government has a role play and then has to even make sure every particular uh, uh, non-government organization or maybe a private group that's operated in Ghana and then has a large following like GPSU must have a regulator in all our dealings. I asked, I asked the question because committed drivers, or one of them, um, did not agree to government stepping in to regulate the transport fares. That's why I asked. That, that, as an individual, that is his view. That doesn't represent everyone's idea. That is his view, and that's his opinion. We will not object to that. Have you called the leadership of the other um, transport operators um, to discuss, I mean, their increment in the transport fares 
and why you think they rushed and should have waited for Monday's meeting? And what has been their response if you have spoken to them? Well, you have asked a question for me to tell you that we have a platform. All operators have a platform, a WhatsApp platform, which we discuss. So the moment they said that, all of us queried them on the platform. All of us had said that they had betrayed the conscience of the, the, the coalition. If we had done the projection, waiting for us to arrive at a solution at the meeting there, they cannot, in their, on their own, go out publicly announce that they are going to increase their fares by 30% and by a certain date, which we have not uh, consented to it. So, oh. hmm. to, to, to be fair, we think that we have to call the meeting and then get them recommended for that. We think that we don't, it's about the third or the fourth time they have done that. And I think that is not fair. And we are going to speak with one voice as a coalition. Should commuters expect an increment in transport fares next week? Uh, I can say yes. Because uh, most of the drivers and operators have run out of patience of the week. We're embarking on a particular tangent to make sure price, fuel prices are stabilized. And I can see for sure that we have failed on that on that uh, assignment. So our next line of action is just to make sure we increase our fares to cushion our operators by way of the high cost of what they are buying. So for sure, but after the Monday, all committees would expect increment in fares. The percentage you haven't agreed upon yet? Exactly so. All right. Thank you very much. That was the General Secretary of the Ghana Private Road Transport Union, Goldfred Abubri. This is still live with News Live from our studio at number 11, Dr. Martin Loop in Adabraka, Accra. My name is with Hawa Idrisu. Stay interactive with us. Um, your comments are welcome via WhatsApp line 0549986996. You can also tweet at me at Zoe Abubedu or at City973. We take a breather here. We'll be right back. Please stay with us. Eyewitness News. Be there as it happens. Let your voice be heard on Eyewitness News on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash city97.3, Twitter at twitter.com forward slash city973, and Instagram at instagram.com forward slash city973 with the hashtag Eyewitness News. You're welcome back. Let's now bring you some of the messages you have been sending to our platforms. Honorable Ayuba in the Savannah region writes, I think the concerned drivers should consider the current economic hardship that we are going through and reconsider their initial 30%, probably to 20%, because we know that increment of fuel prices plus e-levy is equal to the, or will add up to the additional hardship. Baba Chairman in Tamale writes, Why jump the gun when negotiations are still ongoing? The leadership of the various driver unions must iron out their differences in order not to unfairly target the commuting public. Abraham um, Daniel from Sandema writes, The recent hikes in fuel prices is alarming, yet government has imposed a lot of draconian taxes on Ghanaian workers. Government need to wake up from its slumber. A.U. Farouk in Tamale writes, We should blame government for the increase in transport fares. It is due to the unrealistic fuel hikes by the government. Those are some of the messages you have been sending to us. And on Twitter, Prince Henry in Koforidia says, Nothing 
seems to be working perfectly uh, under the leadership of Nana Ekufuado-led MPP government. Napco trainees are demonstrating. UTAG is on strike. Fuel prices keep going up each and every day, but salaries of workers are stagnant. The future is pregnant. Now, Clinton Jr., okay, um, this read Ayu Farouk in Tamale. Um, how has already read that? This one from Mahamaba Kojo from Isium says, Bad governance will always make the poor and low average worker to suffer. The wicked government, th this government is wicked. God will see us through these hard times. And um, a last one from... Okay, I seem to have lost that one, but I'll bring you some more stories. And then um, we'll be speaking to the minority in Parliament on why they're questioning the delay in the tabling of the e-levy. Um, Hawa has some other stories. Now, Director of Communications of the New Patriotic Party, Yabwabina Samoa, has expressed concerns over how the party's communicators are not projecting government policies and the e-levy enough to get a public endorsement. He says the majority of Ghanaians have accepted the e-levy in principle, but the party and government officials must further engage for the policy to gain more public support. He insists the e-levy remains a catalyst for Ghana's development, but says communicators at the local levels are laid back in stepping out to get the public to know more about the benefit the country can derive when the policy is implemented. Mr. Boabina Samoa spoke during an interaction with journalists in Kumasi. To the other thing we are talking about, e-levy, uh, you'll be surprised how many of our MPP officers at local level and communicators are not talking enough about government policy, especially the e-levy. I was in a funeral, a couple of funerals yesterday in the region, and I took time off to speak to a lot of people. Opinion I'm getting all the way from the chiefs I interacted with, opinion leaders from across the country, because funerals bring a lot of people together. And the local people is that the MPP in the community is not stepping out to project the MPP. The MPP in the communities must step out and boldly project the party and its achievements. It's so important. Yao Boabina Samoa is Director of Communications for the New Patriotic Party. Now, the minority in Parliament is questioning the absence of the controversial electronic transfer levy from the business statement um, from the fifth week ending February 25, 2022. I have on the phone lines with me Kwabna Mintankando, who is the Member of Parliament for Drabosu. Good evening, sir. Now, the minority in Parliament has been opposed to the e-levy. The bill has not been introduced. Why is this of concern to you now? Yeah, thank you very much. And uh, let me say good evening to your, ch uh, your cherished listeners. You know, this e-levy bill is one of the bills that we should have even I may finish working on it before the beginning of this year. Now, consistently, both the president, the minister responsible for finance, and the majority leader have indicated that they are not backing down on the E-Levy. Okay? It's been in our boost for consideration. You remember that last week or two ago, um, the majority chief whip, 
came out to accuse Mr. Speaker that it is because Mr. Speaker is not in the seat. That is why it is making it difficult for them to work on the E-Levy. You remember? You remember that one of the members of parliament from the majority side, in, somewhere in Kufu, the Honorable Bafi, went and accused us in the minority that some of us are secretly supporting the E-Levy. Now, the whole of this week, Mr. Speaker has been sitting. You have not brought the E-Levy for consideration. You've also not announced to the House that you are coming to withdraw the E-Levy from the House. So today, every Friday, the first item after prayers to be considered is what we call the business statement, which will detail the activities or the program of the House for the subsequent week. Today, when we commenced business of the House, there was nobody to read a business statement. So we insisted that we wanted to know the business statement for the for next week before we, push, we, we do the day's business. So we had to vary the other paper before some, I mean, after asking questions some, some time has elapsed, then they came back to read the business statement to us. And the business in the business statement, there was no provision whatsoever for the e-levy. So we had to find out. And indeed, when we asked, they, 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 they never said they were withdrawing the e-levy. So if you're not withdrawing, what are you doing? If you're not withdrawing, bring it. As far as we are concerned, we on the minority side are concerned, we are poised and ready to vote against the e-levy with our 137 people. They cannot mobilize their people. And I know, and I can speak on authority, that they are not able to mobilize their people. They don't have the numbers. So they are trying to play ambush. You know, so you don't do this. You don't blame your irresponsibility or your inability to mobilize your people on Mr. Speaker or any other member of the House. That is not done. So So that is why we, we wanted to be sure that... Um, whether or not the e levy will be taken, and when will that be done? But but it should. I mean, you should be happy that it's not being tabled at all. Not so. No, we will not be happy because it is it is with us in the house, and we will take it. And so it is not easy. And let me be very very realistic with you. It is not easy to cancel all your programs and hold on all your people for such a long time. We have constituencies to run. We have constituencies to run. The business or the, the, the work of a member of parliament is not only in the chamber. So we plan according to the business statement for the next week. So are you so doing you, this because an MP challenged you and said some of you were secretly in favor, so you want to vote to let no, 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 people don't know that? It. Our position has been consistent right from the one. This, what the MP did was clear blackmailing, and for me, it was infantile. Because, you know, if he is abreast with the proceedings of Parliament, you clearly know that this type of voting is no secret ballot. You will be on your feet for Mr. Speaker to count you, or for anybody who is responsible for the county to do so. And we have said it on several occasions. That we on our side, the 137 people, we are against it. In fact, if there is anybody 
who even uh, uh, um, um, speak to us secretly. There are even surveys out there indicating that a lot of MPP members are against this. There are surveys. You know, you are in the you are in the uh, what do you call it in the in the in the in the in the press, and you know. So for me, I think that if they think. Uh, they want to bring the e-levy as far as it is before us in the house and they have not withdrawn it, they must program it so that we can get the opportunity to vote against it. That is the opportunity we want. Okay. M- Mr. Kando, please hold on for me. Let me speak to the Deputy Majority Chief Whip, um, Habib Idrisu, for more on this. Good evening, sir. Thanks for joining us on Eyewitness News. Why has there been an absence of the electronic transfer levy from the business statement? Um, when you say absence of uh, the e-levy on the business statement, I don't get the direction that he's talking about. Um, because in actual sense, I'm a member of the business committee, and we plan the business of the ensuing week. And yesterday we had the business meeting, and in the meeting we decided that the e-levy hasn't vanished from parliament or discussion that has to do with parliament. But um, government hasn't withdrawn the e-levy. But what actually is happening is that the business that we are going to do in the ensuing week, it has not been included. And my honorable colleague who was speaking is well aware that the business um, statement as presented by the deputy majority leader is subject to amendment. It doesn't mean that if something is not part of the business statement as presented and government wants to amend it or bring something in there, that has to be the business of the house cannot actually be taken. It can be taken. So I don't get the direction where he's arguing from. Um, the deputy majority leader, um, Afenyo Makin, indicated that it was going to be drawn and relayed. What happened to that one as well? You see, when he said it was going to be withdrawn and relayed, they were actually saying that now that there is an amendment in terms of the figure, 1.7 now, 1.75 now coming to 1.5, and other amendment, there's a new clause that has been added into the bill. And there's been another amendment that has to add the use tax that was not reflecting in the bill and the rules that were not cons- uh, reflecting in the bill, whether we are going to do an amendment or not, or withdraw it to make. And he said government will make the decision uh, when we are ready to take the e- uh, e-levy. So to, to be able to make a statement or to be able to think that for the fact that the business statement for the ensuing week that is next week was presented and then e-levy was not surfacing means that the e-levy has vanished. It is something that is not uncalled for because there is a report on e-levy before parliament. That has not been withdrawn. The finance committee has deliberated on the e-levy. They looked through the, the bill and they have presented it before parliament. So E-Levy is in the house. It's just that we haven't programmed or we haven't said, okay, the coming week, E-Levy is coming Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, or Friday. I don't know whether that is the argument my colleagues are making. All right. So, Mr. Kando, he he wants clarity on what exactly you're talking about. It's not on top of his own business statement. In fact, in the house today, the deputy majority leader was categorical that the yield levy is even not going to be dealt with throughout next week. It, he was very categorical. You see, the point I am making is that, and if he's on the line, he should listen and listen good. After the last time they were speaking about the e-levy, the accusations they leveled against Mr. Speaker was that it was intentional, and it is because Mr. Speaker 
was not in the seat for them to gather their numbers, to get their numbers. That is why they were unable to push the E-Levy. That was the argument as far back in, I mean, two weeks ago, when the speaker was away. So they were eager to take the E-Levy. So what has changed? Now Mr. Speaker is back. Now Mr. Speaker is back. Mr. Speaker has sat throughout the whole week. So you rightly, he rightly indicated that E-Levy has not been withdrawn from Parliament. So what are they waiting for? They claim it's a very important bill. It's one of their priorities. So now, what are they waiting for? What are they afraid of? Why, are, why haven't they programmed it for, 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 for next week? Or is it the case that they want to ambush us and nobody will tolerate any ambush on the floor of the House? Because today, today on record, the deputy majority that has indicated that the E-Levy is not going to be taken next week. And the chief wave for the minority side, who is also a member of the business statement, also indicated that he asked these specific questions at the business committee meeting, and the chairman of the business committee, who is the majority leader, also indicated that the E-Levy will not be taken. And the, major, the majority chief, minority chief wave, I mean, cautioning about ambushing members of parliament. So for, for, for me, if they have not withdrawn the E-Levy from parliament and they claim it's important and it's their priority, where is the E-Levy? Why are they not bringing it? What are they afraid of? What are they running away of? So they should, they should explain why. Mm. Not that, oh, we are not ready to. Can you to know? Why are they not ready? Why they don't want, they are accountable to the good people of this country. Why haven't they programmed it for next week? Okay. This is because they don't have the numbers. And they cannot get their numbers. All right. That is the secret. Okay. And they wait until they come back and then blame somebody. That, oh, this person, that's why we are not taking a year lady. Oh, no, what kind of behavior is this? Uh, okay. Okay. Mr. Idrisu, so um, what will you say to critics? Um, who are saying that you are buying time to get all your members because if this is put to vote, you are likely to lose? Um, uh, uh, buying time in which sense? Consultation is still going on. It is the same consultation that went on that we are able to drop the e-levy from 1.75 to 1.50. It is the same consultation that have been able to make up to let the telecos be able to reduce their own by 0.25%. It's the same consultation that government expenditure have been cut down by 20% across board. You see, what I want, my, my, my good friend, Honorable uh, Akando, who, who is a senior person in the House, knows that. The business of the House and the business committee, all their leaders are members of the committee, with the exception of Honorable Doyo. Honorable Muntaka is a member. Honorable Haruna Idrisa is the ranking member. They are all members of the committee. Yesterday, they were all in the meeting. All their leaders were in the business committee meeting when we took the decision and we said that, oh, consultation was still going on. And for that matter, the E-Levy doesn't need to surface for the next week, for the ensuing week, for that matter. We should just allow the business statement to go on. And we also said that if government is ready, the business, the e-levy is the business of government. If gov and minority doesn't dictate what comes onto the business of government. If the majority leader, who is a leader of government business, think it wise, and we are, agree that, okay, we are ready to take the e-levy, we are ready to take the e-levy. You could see the education, the town hall meeting, the finance minister engagement, the information minister engagement. That is going on in the... Uh, country, you could see that people are now beginning to appreciate and understand 
there e levy in its old full concept. But previously, it was not like that. So the e levy as a test yesterday at the business committee, that was what was agreed, and all their leaders were in the meeting. And we agreed that, okay, for the consultation to go on, when government is ready to bring the e levy, we will be able to come back to the business committee, we will program it, and we'll be able to take it. Mind you, there's two things, something not appearing in a business committee report and something being withdrawn from parliament. The e-levy is still before parliament. The e-levy can even be taken even uh, the next Tuesday. It can be taken. For the fact that it's not in the business committee doesn't mean that with the leave of the speaker, if government thinks that it should come, it can come. The last time we were, we discussed about it, it was not part of the business statement that, uh, that said Friday. I can't remember the date quite right, but it was not part of that business statement. But it won't... We, try to uh, move the motion. But the speaker has said that, no, we were tired and we should take an adjournment. So the uh, e-levy in its full context and everything is before parliament. Okay. It hasn't been withdrawn before parliament and can be taken at any time. The business of the House is led by the majority leader and the majority leader can introduce government business at any time. Consultation is going on well. The consultation is thinking. The consultation is bringing positive results. NDC is just been in this e-living talking about it, talking about numbers because they don't want government to realize what the government wants to realize. People to accept it and for us to pass it and for us to get the revenue needed and for us to develop this country. They are thinking about the next election and they are thinking that government will go to IMF so that government will be given strict conditions like they have had before. Mm. And government will not budge to their own thing. The e-levy is the business of the government, and government will bring it when we are ready for it. Before I let you go, do you know when the sensitization or the town hall meetings uh, is supposed to end? It will end very soon. It will end soon. And when that is concluded, the business committee, definitely where their leaders are, will be informed. We are not going to ambush anybody on this e-levy. Nobody is ready to ambush anybody. If they have their own things doing, they should be rest assured that they can go about and do whatever they are going to do. Because right now, they are now using the e-levy. The NDC members of parliament are using the, ND, uh, the e-levy as a yardstick. They don't go to their constituencies. And they say, we don't know when the e-levy will come. So we are staying in Accra. When government is ready to take the e-levy, we will let you know. We will announce it and you will know. The business committee will program it. Your leadership will let you know when we are going to take it. And nobody will be taking ambush on the person of the e-levy because it is something that is necessary for the development of this country. Thank you very much. Um, you heard the MP for Tolong, Habib Idrisu, who is also the deputy majority whip. Miss, Mr. Akando, are you still there? Oh, let me conclude on this note. You see, my brother said that we are pushing them to the IMF and what have we, and went on and went on. You see, the only reason why they cannot go to the IMF is because when they go to IMF, they will prevent the first one. Let's put that one aside. You see, the only reason why they are delaying is that they don't have their numbers because in the lawmaking process, in the lawmaking, if you are working on a bill, once you submit the bill to parliament. It becomes the property of parliament. You don't go further to do consultations. This consultation is an afterthought. If there's any consultation, it is parliament that must do the consultations. So when the bill is at your end, at the executive end, at the stakeholders level, that is where you do consultations. So when you do consultations and you finalize the bill and you bring it to parliament, it becomes a property of parliament. So if there's any consultation, then parliament takes it up. Now what they are doing has nothing to do with a document before us because 
have not come to withdraw anything. So as far as we are concerned, the consultation they are doing has absolutely no bearing on what is before us, unless and until they come and withdraw and go and start the process again. So the only reason, the only reason that is remaining is that they cannot, and they know, let us not pretend, they shouldn't lie. They know that they don't have the numbers. If we, look, my sister, for the past one week, any time on the floor of the house, we in the minority are more than them. Today, not more than, as I saw with my naked eyes on the floor of the house, I couldn't count more than 40 members on their side. They don't have the numbers. And almost every day, we are more than them. Mm. All right. Thank you very much. Um, Kwabla Mintar Kando is the Member of Parliament for Jua Boso. This is still Eyewitness News on 97.3 CTFM. We'll be right back with more stories. Please don't go away. Eyewitness News. Be there as it happens. Let your voice be heard on Eyewitness News on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash city97.3. Twitter at twitter.com forward slash city973. And Instagram at instagram.com forward slash city973. With the hashtag Eyewitness News. You're welcome back. President Yukufado is expected to be in Parliament on March 3, 2022 to present the State of the Nation Address. The address set out government key policy objectives and deliverables for the year ahead, highlights achievement and challenges and outlines developmental measures for the coming financial year. Presenting the business statement for the fifth week ending February 25, 2022, the Deputy Majority Leader Alexander Apenyo Markin announced the presence of the President in the House on March 3. 2022. These are very important matters that affect members. The Speaker, we expect Mr. President to deliver a message on the state of the nation on the 3rd of March 2022. Mr. Speaker, the attach is the schedule of proceedings for the ensuing week and mr speaker for emphasis for emphasis if you go to thursday the 24th of february thursday the 24th of february you heard the deputy majority leader alexander apenyo Markin. Beneficiaries of the Nation Builder Score NAPCO have given managers of the program a weak ultimatum to respond to their demand. The beneficiaries protested yesterday to demand the payment of their allowances and be given permanent employment. According to the beneficiaries, some of them are owed six month arrears. In an interview with City News, the patron of the Coalition of NAPCO Beneficiaries, Nana Barima, urged managers of the program to address their concerns timelessly. Yesterday, the Greater Accra Regional Coordinator was there with staff from the National Security. So we have rather decided that uh, in the days ahead, the few days ahead, we will write let it stretch them for it. So far, we have been, I think they gave a timeline that starting from today, Chinese probably will hear positive news concerning that. But as to the uh, request we made concerning the permanent job, we are yet to hear any positive developments so far concerning. The, the, the week ahead, we will write that letter to question. 
we will give them a period of one month. But if you we we go into the petition, if we just oppose the petition we submitted to the we indicated that there hasn't been any definite contract at all. We needed a, a defined extension in terms of reference. Because after the, the contract exhausted, they initially gave a notice for to me to vacate post. But later, after a few agitations, they came out with uh, a revised petition that government has rather uh, decided to remain opposed. But as to the specific timeline, it wasn't defined. You heard the patron of the Coalition of NADPCO Beneficiaries, Nana Berima. Customers of Water River Authority and the Northern Electricity Distribution Company, NEDCO, can now conveniently pay electricity bills and buy credit through their mobile wallet. This follows the introduction of a digital platform which allows customers to buy electricity units using a short code. The platform, which is aimed at easing congestion at the various VRE and NETCO outlets, is applicable to all mobile phones and networks. Speaking at the launch of the electronic platform, the managing director for NETCO, Osman Aludiba, noted that the platform will help minimize losses. He gave the assurance that the company will ensure customers are not exposed to any cybersecurity risks. Even as we launch this product, we wish to assure our cherished customers that we will not rest in our bed to continuously improve in service delivery. In this regard, we will continue to improve the product to include other services like bulk SMS. We wish to assure our cherished customers that we will continue to work with our partners to ensure that our platform does not expose our users to any risk more than what is generally attaining in cyber security space in Ghana. And I believe our uh, partners as in MTN, Vodafone and Airtel Tigo will all help in this area. These and many more do we have in stock for you as we count on the public to pay for the electricity they use so that we can continue to be in business and to serve them to their delight. That was the managing director for NETCO, Osman Aludiba. Now, assembly member for the Keji Kope electoral area in the Keta municipality of the voter region, Joseph Amenyo Koshiga, has been charged with stealing. This comes after he was put before the Keta Circuit Court on Tuesday for allegedly diverting and selling 110 student mattresses and some boxes of pillows meant for distribution to victims of the tidal wave disaster that hit Keta and its environs last year. The assembly member who pleaded not guilty to the offence was granted bill to the sum of 50,000 cities with two sureties. The case has been adjourned to March 15, 2022. Now, the country representative of the United Nations Educational, Scientific and Cultural Organization, UNESCO, Abdurrahman Diallo says his outfit have petitioned the appropriate stakeholders to investigate and deal with an attack on Radio Adan last month by some unknown persons. About 10 weapon-welding thugs ransacked some of the station's offices and beat up two of its staff members 
over the content of one of the station's flagship programs. Now, the country director of UNESCO is speaking at the World Radio Program in Accra on the theme Radio and, Th- Radio and Trust said they are hopeful of swift investigations to bring the perpetrators to book. Among us uh, this morning uh, is the production team of Radio ADA uh, who were attacked uh, for going about their lawful duties uh, last month. For the first time, since uh, actually assuming duties here in, in, in Ghana, in our role, we, we formally wrote to the National Media Commission, uh, the Media Commission and the Minister of Information to activate our response in through the coordinating mechanism for the safety of journalists. We reach out to management also of the radio ADA to offer our support and petition the appropriate outfits to swiftly probe the matter and ensure that the perpetrators face the consequences of their wicked actions. This year, 2022, marks 10th anniversary of the UN Plan of Action on the Safety of Journalists. This occasion will be celebrated worldwide and discussed at the ministerial high-level conference in Vienna in next November. Uh, UNESCO will partner safety of journalists in Africa and the African Union relevant bodies to organize African regional discussions focused on the past and future of the UN plan of action to reflect on successes and difficulties encountered in the implementation of this plan and, and its three pillars, prevention, protection and prosecution over the past decade. Abdurrahman Diallo is the country director of UNESCO. Yesterday, the Ghana Meteorological Agency announced a strike um, which was to take effect today. Um, this morning, my colleague Akosia Altre visited the offices of the Ghana Meteorological Agency and she joins me in studio um, for more good evening, Akosia. Good evening, Zoe. What were your observations when you went to the offices of the uh, Ghana Meteorological Agency this morning? Okay, so the agency is one that has about uh, close to 350 workers at the headquarters located in East Legon. And on a normal day, you see a lot of people coming in for reports and all of that. But today was quite a a different story. There was no staff on duty. Um, It was just a security man at post. And when I asked him questions, he told me about the ongoing strike. And you could see that um, the gates have been tied with some red cloths, signifying that indeed the strike is in full force. Now, I spoke to the divisional union uh, chairman who tells me that they have been waiting for a response from the Ministry of Communications on um, some of the issues that have been raised. That is, they're talking about rent allowances. They're talking about infrastructure that is... Deteriorating. Exactly. And, you know, I went round the building to assess the situation myself. And trust me, it wasn't a good one because you could see um, iron rods that are um, rusting. rusting. You could see some of the uh, vital equipments that he used. I've also been broken down and... And a lot of buses that he used to make their rounds okay. also, you know, in a very bad state. And so it wasn't a good one that I experienced. So the man tells me that though at that time, that was at about 11 a.m., he told me they were going to have a meeting with the Deputy Minister of Info- um, Communications, rather, who um, 
have suggested that in this meeting they, they hope to have um, an amicable solution to the matter. And so I called him, I mean, a few minutes before 6 p.m. And he tells me they are still in the meeting and he he thinks that the, the, the Ministry of Communications is, race, is racing against time to avert yeah. any form of shutdown. Mm by the staff workers. Okay, so let's listen to an earlier interview we had you had with the vice chairman of the Divisional Union of the Ghana Meteorological Agency, Nana Kofi Opoko. On the 7th of January, we wrote to the sector ministry uh, enumerating the challenges. We enumerated a minimum of four with a view to the fact that once we are called and we sit down, we'll be able to sit, uh, resolve all these issues. Um, in the letter, the stated letter, we're given ultimatum that by the 15th of February, if we've had no responses from the ministry, we'd advise ourselves. And therefore, when on the 15th of February we had not heard anything, after writing the letter on the 7th of January, we waited the 16th, then the 17th, and then we saw that no. We're not hearing anything from um, the, um, the ministry, and therefore the whole staff congregated, we deliberated on, and we decided that it is time for us to go on strike. Okay, when you say challenges, what exactly are you talking about? So mainly we're talking about the conditions of service. So mm -hmm. let me mention some of them. Um, one of them is the fact that we work in very deplorable conditions. Our infrastructure, when you go out there to the various house stations, the structures are in deplorable conditions. So your staff are not working today, they are not in the office? No, today we are not working. But hopefully we are meeting the, the sector Minister, I think represented by the Deputy Minister together with the, some officials. And we are hoping that at the end of the meeting maybe something fruitful will come out. So that was an earlier interview my colleague Akusi Autre had with the Vice Chairman of the Divisional Union of the Ghana Meteorological Agency, Nana Kofi Opoku. What, um, what is going to be affected basically by this impending or this strike? Okay, so Zoe, we know that the Ghana Meteorological Agency um, provides or feeds a lot of sectors within the um, country, mm. a lot of information regarding uh, climate change, weather forecasting and all of that. Mm. We're talking about the agriculture sector. We are talking about even journalism. Mm. You know, we, we, we use that information to uh, broadcast to our listeners or viewers. Mm. And so this is what is going to happen. If they're going to go on strike, it means that they are no, they are no, no longer going to give um, pilots briefs on takeoffs so and landing is going to be yes exactly and the other one's going to be greatly affected by mm. this and what struck me most is that they haven't informed the, the airport company. company about their strike i'm mm. sure they must have heard it um to the media but they haven't officially served them notice mm -hmm. of their strike and so i'm wondering how uh, they are going to be feeling or how frustrated will be um, as they hear this strike action. Mm. Thank you very much. Um, Akosia Otre is my colleague who visited the offices of the Ghana Meteorological Agency earlier today. We'll bring you an update on this particular story after their meeting with the Ministry of Communications and Digitalization. This is still Eyewitness News. Stay tuned. Ellen Dapa is up next with the business news. Eyewitness News. Be there as it happens. Get the details of every significant financial transaction, every market movement, and all the policies that affect your business. City Business News. Be informed. 
Time now for City Business News on Eyewitness News, brought to you by Vodafone and powered by citybusinessnews.com. My name is Ellen Dapa. To our first story, members of the Greater Accra Poultry Farmers Association are blaming the recurrence of the bird flu outbreak across various regions in the country on the negligence of the veterinary service with regards to disinfecting affected farms. According to the association, the veterinary service, after destroying affected birds, failed to immediately disinfect the farms, leading to the fast spread and constant recurrence. The latest outbreak of bird flu to have hit the country was in the northeast region, where officials of the East Mamprusi Municipality Agric Directorate destroyed over 500 birds. However, since the disease first broke out in July last year, over 11,000 birds have been destroyed. Kwesi Intim Dodo is a board member of the Greater Accra Poultry Farmers Association. We have the case the farmer was complaining that the veterinary services officer that attended his farm to check the bear flu situation and with a view uh, of killing the birds and controlling it, they ended up asking the farmer to buy the disinfectant for them to to do that exercise. A case which is which is which fights against the effort to fight the bear flu outbreak. So we believe that the veterinary services directorate should step up their effort. They, they, we, we should know whether they, when they go, they kill the bird, they disinfect the place immediately. If you kill the birds and you do not disinfect the whole farm and the environment and everything, if you are encouraging the transfer of the virus from that affected place to another place. Mm. And we believe that will account for the reason why since last year, we haven't seen this before, mm. that there has, has been an outbreak and almost a year now, it is still affecting farms one after the other. That was a board member of the Greater Crab Poultry Farmers Association, Kwame Intim Dodu. Now, Deputy Managing Director of the Ghana Stock Exchange, Abena Amwa, has hinted that the exchange is targeting to increase the number of corporate bonds on the Ghana fixed income market to 36 in the next five years. Now, Ghana's growing corporate bond market has has very limited numbers and types of issuers of 11 listed bonds, with the total amount outstanding being 11 billion Ghana cities as of January 2022, compared to the outstanding government of Ghana bonds, which is 150 billion Ghana cities. Speaking during a media briefing in Accra, the Deputy Managing Director of the Stock Exchange, Abena Amwa, noted that with more education, the market will grow significantly in the coming years. An average of five to six new issuances a year. There are a few things that a corporate bond must have in place to attract, uh, to grow. We've been lucky we've had about 12 um, corporate issuances currently. One of the key things we are doing is the education. So a lot of people first didn't even know the GSE had a fixed income market. So you will see, uh, starting from last year, we acknowledge the contribution of the stakeholders that started this market. And that, again, comes back to our partnership with you. We need to let the investing public and potential issuers know that there is a fixed income market. We're coming up with a credit rating agency. Bond markets thrive when there's a rating agency that says that this investor or this potential issuer is different from another potential issuer so they can have different pricing 
for their instruments. That was the Deputy Managing Director of the Ghana Stock Exchange, Abena Amwa. Away from that, the Ghana Revenue Authority has disclosed of plans to roll out the second phase of the Integrated Customs Management System, ICOMS, at the port by the end of the first quarter of this year to rake in more revenue for the country. The system, between June 2020 and April 2021, generated a lot of a total of 18.1 billion Ghana cities in revenue to the government nearly a year after it became fully operational at the country's land and sea borders. Now speaking to City Business News on the sidelines of the first annual general meeting of the Association of Custom House Agents Ghana, the Deputy Commissioner in charge of suspend regimes at the Customs Division of the Ghana Revenue Authority, Emmanuel Hine, outlined what the new modules of the ICOMS will entail. We also have the auction module, which has been completed and is in a test um, stage now. And that will mean when it is deployed that all our auction processes will be automated and um, we will see more efficiency in the management of the auction processes. Again, we have what you call the electronic wallet, which is also at a very near stage of completion where refunds that are due importers will be credited to their electronic wallet, which they could use for payment of um, taxes you know, at a future date. I think I will stop on these two for now. Is there any deadline? Yes, uh, most, of, most of the modules have completed um, production and are in the test stages. Some we are expecting to deploy by the end of this month of February and for others latest by the end of the first quarter. Emmanuel Ohene is the Deputy Commissioner in charge of suspense regimes at the Customs Division of the Ghana Revenue Authority and finally Acting Executive Vice President and Head of Goldfields in West Africa, Joshua Mototi, has urged government to prioritize turning Ghana into a jewelry production hub on the continent. Now, Ghana overtook South Africa as the continent's largest gold producer with 4.8 million ounces in 2018 and increased the production to 5 million ounces in 2020, despite the COVID-19 pandemic. Though the country exports almost all of this gold in the raw state, compelling local jewelers to import refined gold at, at higher cost to produce jewelry. In an interview with City Business News on the need to add value to Ghana's gold, Joshua Mototi said real value addition is not necessarily in gold refining. So I think that when you talk about value addition, real value addition is not necessarily in gold refinery. I think that's what we should be thinking about as country. India, I'll use India as an example. India produces 1.6 tons of gold. Last year imported 900 tons of gold, which tells you that India imports gold. And what does he use it for? Mostly for jewelry production. And that's where you are going to do real value addition. And that's where you're going to employ massive numbers of people. So if you ask me as a Ghanaian, I would say our focus should be on turning Ghana into a jewelry hub to create the real value addition that we want and not necessarily only focusing on refining as value addition. That will be my, my view as a Ghanaian and a professional in this industry. 
Joshua Mototi is the acting executive vice president and head of Goldfields in West Africa. And that will be all for City Business News on Eyewitness News. It was brought to you by Vodafone, empowered by your most comprehensive business news website, citybusinessnews.com. My name is Ellen Dapa. Up next is Points Blank. Eyewitness News. Be there as it happens. and welcome back to Eyewitness News on 97.3 CTFM. February 13 every year is celebrated as World Radio Day. Here in Ghana, an event was marked today to commemorate the World Radio Day, which um, is on the theme Radio and trust. We'll bring you a recap tonight on Point Blank segment um, of what some of the speakers um, said at that event. We'll hear from Professor Kwame Kakari, who is a former executive director uh, of the Media Foundation of West Africa. He's actually the founder of the Media Foundation for West Africa. We'll also hear from George Sapong, who is the Executive Secretary of the National Media Commission, and Professor Amin Al-Hassan, who is the Director General of the Ghana Broadcasting Corporation. They've been d- talking about a wide array of um, issues, recent attacks um, on journalists, the safety of journalism, and a charge to journalists to be responsible. Let's have a listen to them. If you go back to the history of the origins of community radio, you will notice that, or you will learn that, actually the whole concept of community radio emerged out of workers' struggles in Bolivia. You know, 10 miners. What we have heard here, or the testimony here, uh, endorses also, once again, the essence of what a community radio As I, uh, in my earlier remarks, I said that a community radio in questions of social justice. And this is exactly what our people in Adan were trying to do. Um, The sin you committed is the sin of standing by the poor. And that sin, there is almost always a crucifixion by the powers that be in all societies. And that demands that we must stand very firm. I think from this meeting, 
we should try and start to mobilize to protect Adan Radio. Some other radio stations have had similar, not such levels of violence and intimidation, harassment, and, and so on. I mean, we don't have time to go through the testimony that they have given, but you can see all kinds of contradictions. Contradictions within the traditional authorities themselves, contradictions between the traditional authorities and the general masses, the gender issue of women in the struggles to keep their livelihoods, and so on and so on and so forth. And then, of course, as I said also, press freedom is not always stifled, threatened, beaten up by the state. But powerful non-state actors are usually a major force of threat to um, press freedom. And so I think that we need to mobilize again. We've taken too many things of our rights, of our constitution, for granted. And that's why so many negative things are beginning to claw back the rights, obligations, and so on we have had in this democracy we have. Once again, democracy, rights, are not things that we must joke with. We must keep fighting to maintain them, to expand them, to defend them, and to promote and, and grow them. So I think we need from here to find ways of mobilizing to protect Adan Radio. If we don't protect Adan Radio, Radford in Tumu, which is trying to struggle against the exploitation of, uh, what do you call it, that wood, rose wood, uh, stations in other parts of the country which are also fighting around these issues of mining and what they are doing to the communities and their environment and so on and so forth. So I think we must live here today to revive a sense of struggle against this creeping encroachment on the rights of media and particularly on the rights of community radio to exist and to protect the interests of our communities. It's good that I have had the opportunity to see uh, the faces of some of the colleagues that I've been speaking to. But I was just wondering, as a question of strategy, if it was a good idea that we showed your faces, since we still don't know the assailants who are looking for you. So just take note that because you've been on uh, on public show, if they are still looking for you, it deepens the, and the, but more fundamentally, we've made a request to uh, Radio Adan to submit a report to us. The report hasn't come. That's the only thing we are waiting for to close the investigations. And we uh, would be very glad to have some of these uh, materials come with it because the background it gives, gives an indication uh, of the context within which this happened, which may well help our understanding of the issues. Eighty-six years ago, when radio was put on in Ghana, GBC has continued to keep the torch burning. At some point in time, Professor Kakari was leading it, at, and now it's my turn. But I think that uh, um, at GBC, I will want to share what we do at GBC with you by way of introduction, but uh, 
by way of introduction, let me just recap some of the issues that came up here. I think uh, key was Professor, Professor Ori Gajoko's linking of trust to language. And for us at GBC, it is actually what broadcasting on radio is about. And uh, there was also that uh, George uh, Sapon raised about activism. And I would like to uh, remind us of a certain story when the Americans were thinking about what type of government they are going to develop into their country, and they were having these meetings. In those days, there was not much media. So citizens walked up to the hall and waited outside, and when the deliberators stepped out, they would ask, what have you decided today? And when they concluded and said, decided that what type of government they would have, when they were coming out, a very old lady asked, so what have you decided for us? His answer was, a republic, if you can keep it. If you can keep it. What he was saying is that there is so much responsibility on the citizen to make the concept of a republic work. And if things like this happen, atada, and it looks like we are not raising up to the task of keeping, making the republic work. The responsibility rests on you and me to ensure that we stand up. So a republic, if you can keep it, it is our responsibility to make our republic work. Now, my interest in radio started when I first came across a text by Karl Deutsch when he talked about the possibility of multilingual nation, a function of radio technology. The whole idea that somebody living in Paga, Boko, or Oseko uh, Yokrum feels Ghanaian, not Ivorian, not Burkina Bay, or any other, is the function of radio. And I think we should keep on repeating that. If you really want the country to integrate, make policies that will discourage the expansion of radio. When recently I made a tour of all the uh, border towns of the country, what struck me was the fact that Ghanaian radio signals across our border towns are now weak or dead. Largely, they were carried by GBC. And after carrying an electricity bill of 26 million Ghana cities, we have decided to shut most of them down. So basically, when you go around the border towns, the radio signals around Cheriponi, the signal strength is from Togo. Ghanaian radio stations are weak because GBC had a transmitter at Bimbila, had a transmitter at Yendi, which were powerful enough to cover the area. The one at Bimbila is shut down, and the one at Yendi is at a reduced capacity simply because we are not able to pay our electricity bill and there is no any sustainable mechanism to fund public service and so the, these areas are down. Why am I bringing this up? 
basically, I want to stress on the fact that it's a, it's a national responsibility for us to acknowledge and sustain radio as an instrument of national development. Yes, I've had places where, I've gone to places where they are telling me that why the private sector is doing a lot on media. And I said, no, you haven't traveled out of Accra, Kumasi, and Tamale. You are just sitting in these urban places. Appreciate it. When you really do an examination of our fringe communities, communities that border, you will appreciate the fact that we have a lot of work to do. And that is why at GBC, every day, despite all the challenges of sustaining public service radio, we broadcast in 25 Ghanaian languages every day on a network of 18 FM stations. Um, we increased them last year by three to 18. Our target is 25. We think that is it. And this is one of the points about radio, as we have learned it at GBC. Any community where there are conflicts, inter-ethnic conflicts in Ghana, go to that community and see the level of media penetration, especially radio. Not TV, just radio. Find out how many radio stations serve that area. And you will find out that there aren't many or there's nothing. So the last time people in Chirponi were fighting among themselves, and we were calling on them to stop, they never heard us. That was the truth. Because the radio signals didn't go there. The radio signals in Chirponi is Togolese. So we were kept on. And if you remember, it was after a bipartisan parliamentary committee visited the area that they had a message, stop fighting. Our, all the media coverage we had about the fight, they didn't even know. The president appealed to them to stop fighting, they didn't hear it. Now, this is the reason why even we knew Baku was always a trouble spot. So last year we started transforming our relay station in Boko into an FM station. And there's an experiment we did at another place. I don't want to mention that community for the example I want to illustrate. A radio station in Boko speaking the language of the two groups that don't get along is critical towards bringing peace. We tried it in another community in Ghana, and when the radio started, the chiefs came to GBC and said, uh, chiefs of a particular ethnic group, that they can't allow the aliens to also speak. They pointed to another ethnic group as aliens to speak on the radio, which is in their town. And I looked at the chiefs, their leader's face, and said, you can choose to have their language spoken on your on the radio station or the radio station will be shut down. Choose. They've come to accept the fact that the radio station will speak the language of those they describe as aliens in the same community. That type of compelling communities to live together through radio is very significant in bringing about peace in communities that several ethnic groups mix up.
And that experiment led us to go to Baku to transform our relay station into an FM station. We were just about to launch it when the trouble started. We are waiting. When it is possible, we will go and get it on and make sure that the radio station speaks the language they alternate to speak the language of, of groups that are not getting along. And this is why. When you are in a home and the radio station in the house also speaks the language of the group that you are, it get, you get to build a better understanding of multi-ethnic community harmonious living together. You get to learn that. And that is how we are motivated at GBC to keep on expanding on our network so that very soon we ensure that at least we have a lot of areas in Upper West to cover. You will have a whole district where the three major languages in the district, none is spoken on radio. We would have wished community radio systems will cover them, but we know the challenges of community radio, issues of sustainability and that. So we don't expect that to happen soon. But GBC should be capable of going to those areas and start an FM station that will make sure that the major languages are spoken in the area and they will live together. And these are the kind of lessons we at GBC or the GBC experience of radio broadcasting can contribute towards understanding a new regulatory architecture to promote and enhance trust in radio. We think that it's not enough to just say this is the policy on community radio, campus radio, commercial radio, public radio. We think we should go beyond that. Certain licenses should say that you can't take this license to this town and broadcast in only one language. We think we should think along those lines. The fear is this. The few sustainable radio stations that have sprung up in big towns tend to focus, of course, for economic reasons on commercial radio stations on one language. We think that to also request that they should reflect the diversity of the environment where they are located. Otherwise, <laughs> otherwise we will be growing this echo chamber media system that has already consumed the political space. You wake up, me, I'm NDC. So the radio station I'm watching is NDC. The TV station I'm NDC. It is not going to help our democracy. I'm MPP. The radio station I watch is MPP. The TV is MPP. It will not help our democracy. It is actually working directly against the purpose, the reasons, and the theoretical justifications that has made us to defend the existence of media in a democratic environment. It is critical that we appreciate that diversity must reflect in the media. And so I wish that national regulatory system that we should think about is to see how we will ensure that policy guidelines reflect what Ghana is truly is. We are a country that speaks some 56 Ghanaian languages. Not 30 of them are on, I mean, only about 30 of them are spoken on radio. 
we think also that the issue of sustainability, both public service broadcasting and community radio should be brought on the table. The last time an attempt was made on finding a mechanism to distribute TV license fees, it didn't work. But market in every democracy that has gone through what we have gone through, even the United States, they have had a sustainable system to fund public service media and community media. Interestingly, the budget approval for United States 2022 was the largest ever in their history to support public media across the entire United States. Of all countries, they are putting more money on nonprofit media. We in Ghana are running away from it at a time where we have challenges of holding the nation together. It's not in doubt that we haven't even secured our border communities through media. And if we don't, we stand the risk of having um, some troubles soon. I know um, when our uh, UNESCO country rep uh, Ambassador Diallo was here, he made mention the fact that the freedom we have is not given. It is not given. And if we are taking it for granted, we'll wake up one day and run and laugh from the wrong side of our mouths as a country. It is time to speak about these issues and work together. So for uh, GBC, I think the position is very simple. We are not saying that a public service funding mechanism should be for GBC alone. And that GBC is not, doesn't have exclusive right on public service media operations. No. We should define what constitutes public service. And if any media organization fits it, whatever funds we generate, we should use that to fund it. And we will be able to bring back the eroding trust that is in radio. And this ties into my next point which has to do with the fact that community radio, private radios in commercially non-viable markets, the salaries of their workers is a threat to our democracy. When you give a mic to somebody that you pay 200 cities a month to speak or to determine who will speak, you are endangering our democracy. It's time for us to develop a conversation around ensuring that there are certain minimum standards of the working conditions of somebody who qualifies to enjoy the privileges that our constitution has provided to that space to allow them to speak to all of us. The right belongs to all of us. But when you get to sit under the mic, it is a privilege. Any one of us can take your place. So the time you are sitting there, how do we ensure that you take a very good care of this national resource, the ability to speak to all of us? And the danger rests with the working conditions of radio, I mean, journalists in private, commercial, community radio, and public service radio stations. We need to see how 
their economic conditions can be sustained so that we can also demand some minimum guarantees from them. So I have been going around on multilingualism, the issue of interethnic relationship, and the issue of sustainable market, uh, sustainable conditions for broadcasting, uh, community radio broadcasting, and all of that. And basically, we think that any conversation around it will have to be one that should lead towards regaining the trust that radio should have. So you heard that Professor Kwame Kakari, who is the founder of the Media Foundation for West Africa. The Executive Secretary of the National Media Commission, George Sapong. And Professor Amin Al-Hassan, who is the Director General of the Ghana Broadcasting Corporation. And they were speaking at an event held today. And that is the World Radio Day program held in Accra on the theme Radio and Trust. That'll be all for this edition of Eyewitness News. We came to you live from our studio at number 11, Dr. Martin Loop in Adabraka, Accra. Show produced by Sixtus Dong Ulo, Anna Sedu, and Bevlin London, with technical assistance from Daniels Kwashi. My name is Zoe Abubedu Ado. Many thanks for listening, and do have a great evening. City News. We speak first. Reach our hotline on 0302-976-732 and get interactive on Facebook, City 97.3 FM and Twitter at City 973.